0: Welcome to Brave Dynamics. This is your host, Jeremy Au. Leadership is harder than it looks. As a proven founder and Harvard MBA, I interview courageous entrepreneurs, executives, and investors every week. I also share my frontline experiences, coaching insights, and own professional development journey. If you're stepping up as a new leader, founding a startup, or venturing into a great unknown, this Is the podcast for you?
1: Benjamin Abolag is the founder and CEO of Higher Stakes, a London based food technology startup that uses state of the art culture techniques to grow meat products from sample animal cells. Founded in 2017, Higher Stakes has already begun to make its mark on the agritech industry with multiple features in Forbes, Business Weekly, and Yahoo Finance. Previously, Benjamina co-founded a London-based B2B electronics company selling to FTSE 500 companies. Benjamina has also worked at Israeli 3D printing company Stratasys, at the digital marketing division of PepsiCo's joint venture with Strauss, and was the lead developer of an edtech startup. Benjamina graduated from Imperial College London with a master's in chemical engineering, where she completed a project focusing on the design of a peptide plant conducting a lab-based research on synthesis and liquid exfoliation of graphitic carbon nitride. In her spare time, she enjoys going on relaxing walks and reading.
0: So good to see you again, Benjamina.
2: Nice to see you too.
0: Wow, what a year, huh? You've uh, grown and overcome so much, and look at where you are now.
2: Yeah, we've been through an interesting first half of the year. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yes, twenty twenty has been quite the year for everybody. For those who don't know you yet, could you share about your journey?
2: Yes, absolutely. So grew up in Switzerland, in Geneva, and moved to the UK about seven, years ago to study chemical engineering at Imperial. While I was doing that, had a lot of side projects, startups worked in 3D printing, did some marketing work with PepsiCo, was the lead developer of a small edtech startup. Then when I graduated, started my own company where we were essentially selling B2B electronics to large hotel chains, such as Four Seasons and Ten Continental, and was working pretty well, but realized that I wanted to do something with a lot more impact and spent a lot of time thinking what I most care about. For me, it all came down to people's health. And so I wanted to really do something where I would impact millions of people's health. And that's when I joined Entrepreneur First, which is an accelerator, now globally based, but at the time based in the UK, that takes you pre-ID and pre-team. And while I was there, I came across the concept of cell-based meat. And for me, it was just fascinating and very quickly became obsessed with it and realized as well there were very few engineers at the time working on this. So thought that there's really something new that I can bring as a founder to the field. And here I am now as founder of Higher States.
0: How did you personally get started on the startup journey itself?
2: I mean, I've been involved in startups for a while. So as I mentioned, while I was in uni, I did kind of even the charity things that I would do were a little bit startup-oriented, so working with Teenage Cancer Trust to raise some funds for them through people tutoring, then created a website to help students find better courses and to interact with other students, as I mentioned, lead software developers. So I did a lot of kind of side projects and always kind of followed what was going on in the startup field and really started my first startup with the fundraising and so on with higher stakes and that's where I think it really brought in all the experiences that I had before so all the startup work that I'd done during uni the food work that I did during uni and all really came together in in a much bigger project I would say.
0: Why is leadership so important in alternative proteins?
2: I think it's particularly important in alternative proteins versus any other field, because it's really an emerging field. And this is even more so with cultivated meat that's really just at the start. So the examples that we set as founders today is really leading where the field will go for the next few decades. And that's why it's even more important to bring people that have strong leadership into the field. And that's why, for example, recently we hired our new chief scientific officer that had a lot of leadership experience to really bring a lot of leadership experience into the field and set a really good example for the years to come.
0: Now, you mentioned setting a role model for so many people in this industry and for other aspiring people. Why does that drive you?
2: I mean, I think it's very important because of the cause that we're doing and I think personally setting an example as a young female founder and giving hope essentially to other young female founders that they can do this, that they can overcome some of the challenges and barriers that are in front of them, essentially, and give a good example of what they can achieve if they really push for it is really important to me.
0: What are some common challenges that you find female founders face in this arena?
2: It's always a matter of you have to prove yourself more, both as female founders and as young founders, particularly in biotech field. It's really about knowing what you're talking about, knowing all the different avenues, showing that you can do what you said you'll do, even though, you know, you don't have the years necessarily of experience behind you. I think that's really, really, really important to do.
0: What hurdles have you personally faced and how did you overcome them?
2: Yeah, so I mean, I've faced quite a few throughout the years, but I would say with my with my previous startup, we had some manufacturing problems. So I had to do a product recall, had to go through all the big hotel chains that we were selling to to get back our products. But I think the difference between some of the hurdles that I faced then and now is I think at the time I knew that, there was maybe less of a big cause that I was working towards. So it was good to solve the problems, but maybe pushed less hard. Whereas when now, when I face some fundraising problems or co-founding problems, it was really giving it everything I have because I know that I'm not just doing this essentially for the fun of it, but it's also for something that's really, really important for the planet and people around the world.
0: So what support or resources are available for others looking to build alternative protein startup?
2: There's loads of resources out there. I think if you look at all the websites of the NGOs, such as GFI New Harvest, all of them have a wide array of resources. GFI I think has a particular startup manual that really helps you get started. But I think it's very important to do two things. One is really talk to a lot of people in the industry and try to know as well the things behind what's just on the internet. Um, But also learn to make your own opinion and know which advice to listen to and what not to. Someone may tell you, you know, this is an avenue that I think is absolutely stupid and loads of people have tried it. But you might find reasons why it's not. Also know when to take advice and when not to. For cultivated meat, it's also particularly important to look at the resources on the biotech field because a lot of the knowledge is coming from there. So you will find as well a lot by researching on stem cells, biomaterials, bioreactors and so on.
0: What are some common misconceptions about the alternative protein field?
2: A lot of people still believe that it will stay a niche and that's one I think that's starting to change. One that, even frankly, I had a bit of a misconception and was and found it very surprising is that actually some people really see cultivated meat as more natural, and I think a lot of people will immediately fall into the conception that cultivated meat is this crazy thing that's happening, whereas actually some people see it as more natural than plant-based sometimes because at the end of the day, we are going through the conventional process that the cells go through. and. A lot of what we're doing is natural. It's just made essentially outside of the body. And I would say that's probably one of the big misconceptions that people have and that even I initially had.
0: We've seen a new generation of startups going after this problem. How is Higher Stakes going after it differently? And what's your secret sauce?
2: (laughs) It's hard to say a secret sauce on a podcast. (laughs) So I can't go too much into details on that. But I would say there's a few things that differentiate us. One is we're really focused on pork as a first meat. The other is we're working with a specific type of cell called induced pluripotent stem cells, which are a lot more replicable, a lot more scalable than some of the other types of cells. And within that, we're really working on a technology And that's a really secret sauce that is a lot more efficient and will be easier to accept for the consumers across the world.
0: What does your day-to-day look like?
2: (laughs) It's a very difficult question. It changes. (laughs) So, for example, today I had a couple of investor calls in the morning, reached out to some potential hires, had a call with a potential advisor, so now having the podcast, later I want to reach out to more potential hires so today is a lot of reaching out essentially in calls some other days will be more groundwork so looking at what we're doing reading papers so it depends but I would say a lot of time really spent essentially connecting with people whether it's investors people in the field potential collaborators hires and people like that
0: you have a ton of technical experience and I'm kind of curious, what advice would you give for people who share a similar technical background who are looking to become founders?
2: For me, personally, I think I always knew that I would want to take a more business angle to it. I wouldn't say I'm the best chemical engineer there is in this planet. <laughs> I always knew that I really wanted to combine it with a business side, and this is something that I always had. But I've seen for one, our head of R&D that really comes from a pure academic background and did a master's, PhD, three postdocs all in Oxford University, and now helping a little bit as well on, on some of the business side. And I think it's really daring to do so. You'll learn and you'll find ways to learn. And I think it's daring to do so and daring to ask the questions and saying, you know, I don't understand this. Can you please explain? It's often as simple as that. It's much easier to go from the technical to the business than the opposite often. So I think if you're able to do a lot of the technical skills, if you really want to as well, so it's a question whether you really want to learn some of the business skills, you'll find a way and it's really daring to do so and daring to ask the questions and really finding the resources you need to do this.
0: When did you first catch the startup bug? Was it a book that you read? Was it someone you met?
2: difficult to say my mom would say it's when i was seven years old and started selling unicorn uh, paintings to our neighbors but probably a bit later really in, in university i think is when i really started reading i don't remember a specific book or article or anything that changed i do remember though when i was doing my old startup talk from sam altman that i went to and i remember him saying how if you do something really big and really ambitious, it's not necessarily going to be harder than doing something small and fairly simple. And I really found that to be true. And that really stuck with me. And I think that was one of the reasons that really pushed me to do something bigger, essentially, and more ambitious.
0: What books would you recommend? So you've shared a bit about Sam Altman's talks. What else would you recommend for other prospective founders to think about
2: yeah, so I think you have your obvious startup books in a way that are very good, like The Hard Things About Hard Things, by Ben Horowitz. But I think you also have other books that really help you out on your journey. So Why We Sleep, again, really changed my perception of how important it is to sleep and goes, I think, again, some of that perception that you really shouldn't sleep. And if you work 20 hours a day, that's the best thing you can do. So I think working hard, but also making sure that you're sleeping enough Another is Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. And again, when you're actually going through things that you feel are hard, it's a really good one to read about resilience, just human resilience. And it will very, very quickly put you back into, <laughs> back into perspective. So I think probably these would be three that come to mind. Feel free to reach out to me. I have loads, uh, loads more to share.
0: <laughs> what meaning do you find in the startup day-to-day
2: for me it's two things one the bigger cause so knowing really whatever i'm doing is helping the field advance so no matter what ends up happening to my startup it's really the field of cultivated meat i really think will do something good for the future and whatever i'm doing will help that field advance and i think the second thing is the people that i'm meeting along the way for example yourself but i think really you know meeting amazing people along the way gives meaning to to what i'm doing and I think helps under not just really long-term horizon, but on the really short-term helps me give meaning essentially to what I'm doing. You
0: know, that reminds me about how we met in a leadership peer group of other founders. And you know, it was such a blast to share our woes and successes. <laughs> so I always say, it feels like you know, startup life is like you know, 90% woes and 10% successes that we're just working towards. How do you feel about that?
2: It's really important to have that peer group that you can rely on. And sometimes as well, I think a couple of us mentioned it, having several sometimes peer groups so that you don't burn out one of them with all your 90% problems. I mean, it's really important to take the time sometimes to discuss this because some people will have gone through the problems that you've been through. You can help with different perspectives with the problems that you've been through. But it's often, you know, you're so much in the everyday of it. In the same way as you have advisors, having as well people that are at a similar stage than you and going through some of the same problems that you're going through really helps.
0: Who are your peer groups that you activate and find companionship with?
2: (laughs) So I would say some of my peer groups, my friends from home, some of them are founders. I have the people that I've met through Entrepreneur First. We met on Better Work Circles which was really helpful, and I think as well some of the people in the industry that I'm in. So it's a very friendly overall industry in the alternative proteins, and I think it created some friendships as well with some of the founders in the field.
0: It's awesome that you have all these gear groups that you're able to tap on. What do you do for fun to unwind on a weekend?
2: Recently, I've really enjoyed walking because I think with COVID, you know, we're really trapped inside and I'm not moving as much for meetings and for work. So I try going for walks and either I'll call a friend or try as well to see friends that don't live far and sometimes even friends that live a bit further. So try to walk a lot. I think that's probably the the one thing. And that's really helped me throughout the lockdown. How about you? I think
0: I've really enjoyed spending time with family during this time. It was just nice to just uh, circle up and get meals together and cook and just catch up on life. You know, it's nice to do that because I think the entire world seems to be retreating back to the homes with family. And it's what's important during this time. So that's been a nice way to unwind. And as the lockdown eases, nice way to also unwind has been doing more exercise outside as well. So I also really enjoy walks and it's been nice to do a few more of the more adventurous hikes, just to walk around the forest, or climb a small hill. And it feels good to do that with another friend as well. So uh, I try to bring my friend with me so that we both go on a hike together and we can talk along the way.
2: I love hikes. Sometimes the problem is if it gets really, really steep I get hyped right and it depends if I'm if I'm with a friend that's confident then I'm good when I go with my mom we get scared at different points and it's the blind leads the blind so (laughs) it's usually not a good idea (laughs) but I'm still alive
0: well it does feel like it describes the startup journey a little bit like we all get scared along the way and we help each other kind of cross those tough points and somehow we're still alive
2: Exactly. I mean, a friend of mine climbs professionally pretty much and climbs glaciers. And I'm like, I don't know how you do this. And he says, oh, it's a bit like startups. I can deal with the problems of startups, but I'm not sure I'd go climbing without any ropes yet.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think this is such a true thing, right? Because you know, I guess for us, you know, it feels like such a risky thing to do to climb without ropes. But for them, they feel like it's not that risky at all from their perspective right and i feel like something similar happens for us as startup founders because everybody thinks we're these crazy risky people taking on humongous risk and i don't feel like that i mean i feel like maybe it's not that risky as they think i mean there's still some risk obviously with the product market fit how to scale how to fundraise the team dynamics but. Much more manageable or much more under control compared to what the general public thinks. What do you think about that?
2: I absolutely agree. I mean, I remember a candidate asking me, but you know, what if I join you and you know, six months later the company fails? And I said, well, what if you join, I don't know, GSK and they went bankrupt or they fired you? Anything can happen with this. You see some way, way bigger companies get with coronavirus at the moment, get rid of a lot of people or are going bankrupt, whereas some startups survive. So I think there is sometimes a false sense of stability. I'm still not keen on the climbing without a rope, but I think it's, as you say, it's very personal and risk is a very personal thing and how it's perceived as human beings, usually we're not necessarily great at really calculating risk in general and anything that's really statistics. (laughs)
0: That's so true. I think the pandemic has really shaken, you know, the kind of foundations of all the big companies and lots of other companies that were seen as, you know, iron bowls. You know, it's very true that these days, the only true stability you have is the set. I think you and I have really built a lot of skills from building startups because we're forced to read papers faster, <laughs> forced to hustle about understanding the unit economics of the business faster. So we're really always being pushed out of our comfort zone. At least that's how I think about it. How do you think about being outside the comfort zone and what you've learned so far in startups?
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think it's actually the best skill is learning to learn. And I think that's the biggest thing that a startup teaches you is you're constantly having surprises and you really learn how to learn really fast. However, the world changes, you'll learn how to adapt to it because you know how to learn faster than in a conventional concept. So even if you're not the biggest expert in this tiny thing, you can learn what some people will learn in 10 years in a couple of months because you know how to learn faster, essentially.
0: Reminds me of the tweet where someone was saying that we have to teach children how to Google. <laughs> because you know, Google lets you learn a subject faster than anybody could have done five years ago or 10 years ago. I mean, literally I could pull up a field on you know, anything like quantum biology <laughs> and just start learning about what's the implications, what they're trying to do differently in that field, and that was just totally inaccessible to the world, let alone myself, 10 years ago. So it's kind of crazy how like, the internet lets us have a competitive advantage by just learning faster, right? Because you know, otherwise, we'd be using encyclopedias and trying to cobble it together by asking friends or being forced to study it at a university.
2: No, absolutely. I think it's really helped make everything more accessible. I think the key is also knowing to remove some of the distractions and knowing what you should be learning and, and what is really just a distraction. And I think that's the hard part about having so much information.
0: What are the mental models that you use to filter information that's relevant versus information that's nice to have versus information that's really not needed?
2: You often kind of know, and I think it's really about the time you put in each. So making sure you spend the most time on what's really helpful. But it's also sometimes good to look at the things that are not necessarily directly relevant, because you often can get ideas and more and more you see the best inventions come from crossing fields. And maybe I'll read something in physics that will really help us, even though reading about maybe astrophysics is not necessarily directly relevant to what we're doing. But it might be that there's something there that can help us. And there's a lot of inventions that happen this way. So I think you have to allow yourself time as well to go outside of your field, but also know that the majority of time shouldn't be spent on things that are not necessarily directly relevant. Again, time management.
0: How do you handle time management?
2: It's a hard one. I've started really putting everything on my calendar and that helps a lot. I've been using a lot Notion to just, Handle everything. So, between that and the calendar, knowing kind of my to do list, when I want to do it. But it's definitely something that I need to work on because it's something that is constant improvement. You always have these like all the things you plan, and then one takes a bit longer, and it's hard to be strict on yourself. But yeah, I would say there's a couple of things. If you add too many tools, then it takes up more time to go through the tools than actually do what you need to do. So, I think keeping it fairly simple. I try to plan a week in advance and then the night before and then the morning before. So for example, the night before I might have planned something, but in the morning, if I see, you know, an email that's something more urgent then it might change, but really try to have those allocated time slots in which I plan my day and try as much as I can not to change it.
0: Awesome. Last question. If you could go back 10 years in time, what advice would you give to yourself?
2: I think read more. That would be my number one. I've done well on the kind of networking, getting to know people, getting a good network and things like that. But I think I started really getting into reading a little bit later. I think reading more from a younger age and not just getting into the subjects that I cared about and more just general, you know, literature. I think that would be one thing that I would tell myself.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, Benjamina.
2: Thank you.